to the podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people all over the nation, leading creative, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. And we talk with people about why they have decided to create new and transforming ministries, especially during times such as these. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast where ministers, writers, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Imagine Heaven on Earth features Reverend Lydia Munoz. Lydia is the pastor of Swarthmore United Methodist Church in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. She has over 20 years of diverse experience leading worship and bringing about justice. She is passionate about developing a fully inclusive congregation where courageous conversations and reconciling opportunities can happen, where peacemaking can be made and love can grow as an expression of justice. Using the sixth chapter of Who Will Be a Witness as a Guide, we talk about justice and the worshiping community and how we are formed in corporate worship so that we will be disciples in the world. Welcome, I'm Marta Fioriti, and I'm the pastor of Black Forest Community Church, an open and affirming congregation of the United Church of Christ. And I am Mandy Todd, Marta's partner in ministry and the director of worship here at Black Forest Community Church. We are your hosts for Jesus Has Left the Building podcast. Today, we are excited. I'm especially excited because um, we are going to be joined by my friend and my colleague and classmate, classmate Lydia Munoz. Um, we are in the Demon in Public Theology at Drew University. Um, she is an inspiration to me, and I'm grateful for her presence in this space with us. Um, we will hear from her in just a few minutes. Um, but first, we want to say a little something about our scripture text that we are going to be looking at today. Um, because knowing God, or at least working to know God, helps, out, helps us to live a life of faith. And our scripture text today, um, the prophet Jeremiah, really touches on who God is and what God is up to. So each week um, during this time in our church and in our life, of the global pandemic, we have offered this weekly podcast as a form of worship and spiritual deepening. And I think sometimes maybe we need a reminder that that's what we're doing with this podcast. This is our worship offering for Black Forest Community Church and for all of you out there. Um, and we're focused in on um what we're doing, what the Spirit is doing within us. I think that um, for a lot of Christians, worship and weekly attendance in that space in our normal time becomes so routine and embedded in our culture, we kind of forget why we're actually showing up and, and what we're actually doing as we worship corporately together. Our time in that space is both countercultural, but also has become a part of this Western colonial empire in which we live. And so what, what purpose are we really serving with that worship? Yeah, sometimes even, even I need to have this really intentional awareness mm -hmm. of why I'm doing this each week, why we come to the sanctuary when we can do that, why we are offering these messages every single week. We know that there's diverse ways why people come to worship and to even this podcast. Some people just want something to do. They just want an activity. Right. <laughs> it's like just on their calendar and it gets them out of bed. And that is a great reason to do it, um, to come to worship. Um, some people come because they want their children to experience yeah. this countercultural experience through music and words and stories and, and other liturgy and prayers. For some, they come just to see their friends and to be in community and to be in relationship right. with other people. And um, sometimes that is hard in our culture is to find those kinds of connections. So for some, they come for that reason. Um, there are times when 
I have said as a reminder to myself, um, even in our public space together, we are gathered here to get a glimpse of heaven on earth, even if it's just for one hour a week. It is to remind us of who we are and whose we are um, and to really deepen into our biblical scripture and sacred text um, and to say something about the vision of that Mm -hmm. Bible and our Christian tradition. So as I was preparing for this podcast, um, it was the eve of a very important important election in this country, an election that has come at a time when our nation um, feels and seems very, very, very broken to some people. And so many of us are really tired, tired of being sick, tired of being worried that we'll get sick, tired of fleeing and isolating. We are tired of being polite in the midst of divisions or anxious about those divisions, maybe Mm -hmm. with our neighbors. We are tired because there is so much grief and some of us are deeply empathetic and soak up that grief Mm -hmm. from others. Black lives are at stake. Young lives are at stake with the way our school systems are operating now and in other ways. The lives of all of those on the margins are at stake in ways that some of us can't understand, but we just know that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Mental illness is an all-time high. It is important to come together and be reminded of our common humanity, even if it's watching this podcast on Facebook or just listening, knowing that there's other people that are doing that together. So our faith, I want you guys to think about that out there. Think about your faith. Think about your beliefs because our faith informs those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Our beliefs inform our politics, and our politics inform the policies that rule us. For some, the politi- policies have a little effect on our daily lives. But for others, those policies are life-altering. In fact, sometimes it's really about life and death. Yeah. So the church is not partisan, but the church is political, meaning the prophets and the people of the gospel had a strong interest in equity and justice in public life. Right. To be political is to be about the people. Right. Absolutely. People who are figuring out how to structure life together. And that's what we're all doing. And, you know, the gospel has a preferential option for the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. And even a preferential option towards communal living rather than the individualistic Western um, ways that we have made normal or um, natural in, in our current society. And, and Jesus really taught us to make life better in the public square. That's what he was doing, was, was talking about how we live together communally to make life better. And we have to be aware of what is happening to all of the people around us um, in order to do that. As Karl Barth said, you hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. When we worship together in community, our worship must inform a just and equal society. It must inform human dignity dignity and equity for all. It must be a place to imagine heaven on earth. Many say that the God of the Hebrew Bible is angry. 
And this is connecting to the prophet Jeremiah that we'll hear in a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want anything to do with that, with the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, because they are constantly hearing this angry God. But in those words, if we go a little bit deeper, God shows us in the text that an angry God is justified over and over mm -hmm. and over again in order to decide and inform how communities would organize themselves in that equity. Right. So I want you to think about a time when you've been angry because you haven't had full rights. Mm -hmm. It can be anything. That is what God is trying to do in the Hebrew text. Right. And it wasn't just for small faith communities, but towns and cities that God was fighting for. Mm -hmm. The prophet Jeremiah's voice is heard during a time in his history when there was also much upheaval, much like today. Right. He speaks of the character of God and the expectation of all of us. So here's the text. Starting with verse 23, thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth, but let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. And lastly, if you have the book, Who Will Be a Witness by Drew Hart, it is the book that's accompanying us on in this conversation. On page 219, I'm going to quote him. He says, if our church's songs, liturgy, scripture reading, preaching, communal life, discipleship, and dialogue do not reveal to us the God of justice and deliverance. And if it does not form a people called to be extension of our creator's love and justice for the vulnerable, then something is off with our worship. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes, Lydia is going to have so much to say about this. I'm so excited. Our ritual for today, um, and which we'll explain later at the end of this episode, but it's simply to collect yourself in a space that's comfortable and to grab a candle. It can be a tea candle. It can be a larger candle, any kind of candle. Just grab it. It can be your pumpkin spice <laughs> candle. That's what I have been using these days and a lighter. And stay tuned for the end of this episode where we will uh, do a ritual together. Welcome, Lydia. We are so excited to have you in this space with us and to have this conversation um, today. One of the things that we're working on doing with this podcast is to inspire our church and also other churches to do um, work of prophetic leadership in this time that we are in, this historic time that we are in. And we know that you are doing that kind of prophetic leadership in your little corner of the world. Um, so we're super excited to hear your stories and how um, your work connects to the book, Who Will Do a Witness, and the work that Drew Hart is do doing in the world. Um, so thanks for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Uh -huh. So the first thing we want you to do um, is just to talk to us about who you are in the world and, and the passions that you have and um, the work that you do. Great. Well, I am a, an ordained clergy, in, um, uh, an elder in the United Methodist Church, and I am part of the Eastern Pennsylvania Conference of the United Methodist Church, and my church is located in Swarthmore, um, Pennsylvania, home Swarthmore College, if you're familiar with that. Um, it's the college that didn't accept uh, Barack Obama as a student. Can you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> They're doing much better now, though. Um, so, and so my congregation is Swarthmore United Methodist Church. Um, 
I'm also a mom and of a young adult um, who cast um, his first boat uh, yesterday, which was exciting. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have an 18 year old. Nice. Um, so we celebrated that, of course. And um, part of my work um, beyond the local church setting is to work in national settings in the United Methodist Church, um, helping to build and design worship that reflects um, much more diverse, much more younger, much more global community um, that's around us. Working a lot with um, the immigrant community as well. And so that influences the way you worship and the way you see God. Um, and so that work, doing that work of designing worship, of uh, collaborating with um, worship teams from around the world um, to build a much more uh, truer version of the beloved community in the, in the worship in space um, is part of the work that I do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I actually, um, I want you to talk a little bit more about some of that work um, <laughs> that you, uh, of kind of creating spaces that sure um, reflect uh, a, a global space. Yeah. Looks like um, right. how, like for example, like how would a church like us that's predominantly white be mm -hmm. able to practice some of that in, 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 with integrity and, you know, ethics and all of that? What does that look like? Right, right. Well, so I believe that when the church gathers, when any community of faith gathers, one of the things that we as clergy or, or faith leaders need to remind people is that they don't gather alone. They don't gather in a, a pocket of time. They don't gather in a, you know, this exclusionary, you know, okay, Swarthmore United Methodist Church is going to have its worship. No, you gather as part of, as a, as a his, history professor used to put to me, you are a branch of a larger tree. So you're an expression of this greater body. And so when you pray, people in Africa pray. When you sing, people in Germany sing. When you take, uh, when you engage in, in, in the rituals of the church, people in other parts of the world are engaging in the rituals of the church. And so you are part of the cloud of witnesses. You are part of the beloved, you know, the larger body that we, you know, um, celebrate. It's not, I mean, can you imagine God would be pretty schizophrenic if, um, if we worshiped, if we had, Hey, Jesus, it's our time now. So you can't <laughs> go over there. No, Jesus is like, uh, I'm kind of everywhere. Hence, that's why I've left the building, right? Which is the <laughs> name of your film. Um, so um, that's what I believe. So I don't buy into that whole, um, and, I've, and I've, I, I've done this a hundred times with congregations saying to me, but, but we don't have any people from Africa here, or, or we don't have people from South America here. We're basically lily white. And I always say, no, you, all, you really have to remember that you are so connected to other people right now as you, um, as you um, gather to worship. Uh, as soon as we mention the name of God, as soon as we come into, into we're connected. And so you, whether you know it or not, you are worshiping with somebody from Africa. And so singing their song is a way to learn how to pray together or, or praying in another language or another form of prayer um, is a way of connecting those. So that's what I, that's that's what drives my work is to help people see that this is a connection beyond. And so we need to practice being a global church. Um, we need to practice being a global community of faith. Um, and, that, and that takes work because we are very, uh, particularly in this country, we are very independent. Um, and we don't see beyond our walls or see beyond our community or beyond our needs. And so um, having that 
um, part of the of the liturgy of the work of the work of the people. And when I say the work of the people, all the people, um, that kind of helps us do that. Yeah, and that's such a beautiful image as we um, think about having celebrated All Saints and All Souls Day as well. That connection both it's a current and you know people on the planet connection yeah. now but also it's a time connection right like it worship draws us to the past and to the future um as well as our present moment yeah here. absolutely absolutely you're so right absolutely yeah. that's why in our um in a part of our celebration for all saints i always ask people to bring pictures um and, and I also include names of, and pictures of people in other communities um, that have, that are not part of that community, but that have uh, passed on so that they see that, you know, when we say that line in our um, uh, great Thanksgiving prayer, um, and now with the company of saints, uh, of all the saints, we praise your name and sing this unending hymn, unending hymn, uh, you know, they can say, oh, I get it. That means me. <laughs> and that means uh, that person on the altar. And that, you know, yeah, means a bunch of people. Yeah. So um, this is a big question. Um, okay. But we'll, we can take it kind of in parts. Um, in Dr. Hart's book, Who Will Be a Witness, he clearly affirms the role of the preach word in shaping mm -hmm. justice seeking congregations, but mm -hmm. he also urges us to create participatory dialogical space where mm. the spe spirit can speak through whoever is there, right? Yeah. So what do you think, how do our current structures of church subvert the priesthood of all believers and get us away from that idea of speaking of any of everyone being able to speak and and what do what are we doing that um really spurs the work of justice through the priesthood of of all believers like where how, compare and contrast that a little bit so for we us. might want to yeah. touch on what priesthood of all believers right. means for a second for our listeners out there for sure which is the idea that we are all ministers right we are all doing this work together and in some ways it's a way of flattening the structures of the church and breaking down patriarchy and hierarchy um mm -hmm. and that we're just all in it and doing the work together so i just right. yeah and it there. it really um connects back to last week's episode when we were talking with kendall and aurelia who are um the um founder and board president of a preaching conference called nevertheless she preached and we talked mm. a lot last week about um the ways that we can um, flatten that hierarchy, especially in preaching. But I think this question kind of push, pushes us further. So, okay, sure. maybe maybe everybody gets to preach, so to speak, um, but what else can we do to kind of subvert that and flatten that hierarchy? So I believe that one of the, one of the things that need that, um, that is important is there's two ways um, that where preaching uh, and the importance of preaching um, has been formed um, have come into play. So most Catholic um, understandings have of, of, of preaching have a place where the sermon is part of the table. So when you go to the Catholic church, it's a service of word and table. Now some Episcopalians as, as well, you know, more, people who have more of that, that strain. And then, um, and then we have the other strain of much more Protestant, right? Where the sermon is actually the climatic point of the whole service. So everything leads to the sermon and everything comes after the sermon, everything comes back down. And in, and in other traditions, the, um, the climatic point is the table, right? right? And that's one of the ways where the, 
the whole congregation gets to preach because you can't have this table by yourself, mm. right? So um, uh, this is a way that the whole community gathered at the table, it's itself, it's its own sermon. Um, and so taking the emphasis or sharing the emphasis or you know, building equity between the ritual and the sermon or, or making the sermon part of worship not a thing by itself, but part of worship is one way to flatten that, that curb uh, or that, that disparity. Um, another way is, and this is something that I believe is gonna, is gonna be more and more of a trend. Um, I've used this opportunity um, uh, and the first time I've, I've done this a couple of times, it really freaked people out. I would create some type of exegetical work on a scripture passage or whatever. And then I would um, ask three questions and say, okay, um, you guys talk about this. We're gonna, sh we're gonna do this um, theology and community where we're just going to, you all are going to take the scripture and you're going to break it apart for yourselves, see how that works. Now, the problem with that, it, or it's not a problem, it's actually a challenge. The challenge is when most of us who are clergy go to seminary, the message we receive is you are responsible for the sermon. You are responsible for the preached word. And part of that is true, but part of that is also um, it really sets up a thing of no longer being called apart, which is a sacred thing, um, but rather you are the only one who can. Put on a pedestal rather. Yeah, you're automatically. And so I just think that um, if pastors or if, if people of, you know, that are in communities of faith could free themselves of that, right? To, you know, to just say, I don't have to have, it could be, it could be that um, someone in the congregation might have a better exegetical explanation or a better understanding of the scripture than I do. And what a gift to share to the, con so it means that you as a clergy person have to say, oh, guess what? I'm not the center of the universe. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not the center. I'm not, the, I don't have to do it all. I'm not the professional, which is such a thing in this country, right? Mm. We, instead of asking people, um, who's your family? Where are you from? In terms of, you know, where are your people from, right? Um, we ask, what do you, so what do you do? And we value people exactly by what they do. So that's why it's important for us to create Right. It's important for us to create some kind of like clergy professional thing, you know, and I get it. We study, we study hard and that's, that's important. So we should be able to resource. We should be able to provide facilitation. Mm -hmm. um, we should be able to provide people direction, but we, we don't provide the answers. That's not our job. Right. Well, and it's also an interesting leadership skill and ability that we are often not taught um, right. in our um, formal education. Um, but boy, would it be a such a a rich um, experience to learn how to do that kind of facilitating, um, sharing, collaborating. Mm -hmm. um, lifting up of so many different voices that I, I just think it would really um, turn upside down the church a little bit um, and really model like the way that, you know, Jesus um, flipped the gospel in a way that in the te scripture text in a way that had not been done for centuries in right in, in that time period right um so right. it's like he models this thing and then we don't do it <laughs> within right. our worshiping community um and so yeah i just i you know mandy knows this about me me being the center of attention is 
luckily, um, I don't love. <laughs> um, and so I'm constantly trying to figure out other ways for the spoken word to be done in a creative space. Different. It's vulnerable. It's very vulnerable because, sure. I mean, so it means that you have to, as a, as a leader, you have to develop the ability to trust people. Mm-hmm. Boy, and that's hard. That's hard because you don't know what's going to come out of people's mouth or their lived experience. Mm-hmm. But what comes out of all that stuff, right, um, is could be something amazing and, and life transforming. Um, so we're trained to have the answers. We're trained to have the, I mean, we should be able to, to be able to um, exegete a text and, and, and figure it out. This is, this is actually what Jesus could be. So I, I'm really careful about saying, Hey, this is what's happening here. No, actually, I don't know. I I'm just saying this could be, mm-hmm. this is one way of looking at it. Perhaps Jesus is saying, so I always leave and, you know, pr- uh, parishioners will tell me there's, there's too many questions here. I, I, you're not get, I, you're not answering any of this. I said, it's not my job. That's not my job. That's your job. That's your job. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm back to like the idea of Hart was talking about, you know, it being spaces that are just, and I think that you point to that a little bit in this, the, the vulnerability and trust piece and, um, and acknowledging their lived experiences, um, if you bring that practice into a communal context, um, you don't know what you're going to get. And no, that's right. So, right. So it's you're, you're. So the people that are that are practicing together in that space are not going to probably get status quo. They're not going to get comfortable white America. They're not going to get they're going to get something completely different and absolutely it will, and it will be something that actually is modeling how we want to be in the public mm-hmm. square and how we want to be um, in politics and in policies it will model that space for them and and that's scary and hard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to do yeah that makes me think <clears throat> Lydia I want you to talk about a little bit about your um the work that you're doing around hymnody like i'm just thinking about um you know it was just all saints day and like i love to sing for all the saints right like that i love that so much but but marta what you just said is like why do i love that so much and i think there are there are good reasons to love the yeah, that traditional hymnody and and the way that it connects us back and you know Rafe Von Williams, this amazing composer, wrote this hymn and we've sung it every, you know, like there's that beautiful tradition about it, but it doesn't challenge us in the same ways. And I want to hear a little bit, look at me, I'm going off script today. Usually it's her. Um, (laughs) Um, But Lydia, I wanted to hear about, like, talk to us about um, the work that you're doing with decolonizing hymnody and other traditions in the church and and what your goals are for that like why why is it important that we do that work well because of the very thing that you just talked about uh so this is for all the saints is something familiar to you you grew up singing it you grew up you know you know when to sing it it you know this is all saints or when there's memorial services right you know um and so you know but for other people their their lived experience is not necessarily connected to that song right and you're right the composer of that song was brilliant in in the way you know the 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 verses tell the story of what the book of revelation is talking about you know when that chapter and then i saw all the saints and i asked who are these people with the white robes and all that stuff and and they said this is they've come to the well this song tells that explains what that is right if you lived during that time (laughs) when that right so um 
so then how do we find ways to take that hymn and connect it to something in the in the liturgy of of what's happening in the worship experience so that it connects the dots for people. Mm. So for me, what I did is I took that song and I put it inside the great Thanksgiving prayer. So we started with the first verse and then we thanked God for saints, saints like who? And we named the typical ones that people, you know, people write all the names of their loved ones that have passed. But then we also included people like John Lewis and we included people like um, all the, the shooting victims and uh, you know, that have been uh, by police and, and all, all of those things. So, so that all of a sudden what we're singing is like, oh, are these saints too for all the saints? Hmm, who from their labor rest, what did they labor about? Oh yeah, they labored about voting rights and women's rights. And we included, of course, Ruth, um, uh, Ruth Ginsburg in there. And, you know, and so it, it, it starts connecting. And then we did, then we went on and thanked God for that because that's what you do in the great Thanksgiving prayer. You thank God for all of the things that God has done at the beginning. And then finally we say, and so then we sing with them, all of them. Oh, great communion, fellowship divine. Are you telling me, then per, the person has to think, are you telling me that right now I'm having fellowship with George Floyd? Mm. You are. And that's how this hymn changes. It could be, it's done the same, but all of a sudden this hymn is for George. It's for Brianna. It's for, you know what I mean? And then it begins to take a different form. So by the time you're done with the communion liturgy, where I talk about Jesus who, um, you know, showed us about um, how love is and how true sainthood is, is, um, is about, um, knowing that uh, some saints don't get recognized, that some saints are, are, are not talked about, but these saints have all um, passed on because they believed in truth and justice and all of those things. And then, you know, we finished the, the hymn um, across the world. Um, what is it? The last uh, verse of that song is across earth, earth's wide, wide bounds. Um, and it connects us with what's, who are the martyrs and who are the communities um, that are remembering their martyrs across the world. Mm. So anyway, that's just an example of, of taking something that is, could be viewed as pretty patriarchal and pretty colonial and pretty, right? And then, but reconnecting it to a liturgical practice and a prayer in particular that makes it come alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's and I think a lot of times people don't want, at least in worship, don't want to decolonialize because it's changed and they think, oh, well, then we don't get to sing the things that I love and we don't do the practices yeah. that we want. But that doesn't have to mean that is what no, you're saying. No, exactly. Uh, yeah. I just, I think that people think that, okay, well, here comes the pastor's going to throw out all the things I like and all the thing. I think what we need to ask people is, is what's the why? What's going on behind uh, all the things that we're doing? What's the, um, what's the, what's the moment that it's changing you? Mm. How is it changing you? And how is it connecting to the larger community? Mm. So I know. Well, that was one of the things we said actually in our introduction is that we um, we sort of when when we do the same thing week after week after week, um, we sort of forget why we're in that space and why and who are we worshiping and who um, what is what is God like and we because we just get into this regular practice and you know there is this philosophy that. Um, people can deepen better into faith with a tradition and ritual that stays the same because it is this container. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is that the container doesn't have to go away. 
right? right. The, con the right. container and structure can still be there, but then what are we going to shift within that container to kind of mix mm -hmm. it up and make it super relevant to what's mm -hmm. happening right now to real live people? Right, right. And I think right. that is um, that is what becomes rich about uh, about decolonizing liturgy yeah. and being really really intentional about it and i think yeah because it, it helps you critique it, it it helps you critique the container too mm -hmm. you know it doesn't mean that you have to dismantle or you know destroy it um but you you can critique it and it can shift um so that you don't so that when we're when we're talking about um, when we're talking about surrender, which we tend to do a lot in the Protestant church, um, where we ask people to surrender themselves and surrender their life, how does um, the gentleman um, who is sitting three pews back react to that different than the woman who is caring for five children and dealing with all that you know so we keep asking her to surrender and to um you know not think about herself which is something we tend to preach about a lot you know um not not putting yourself first although um the greatest command is love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind strength and your neighbor as yourself um but we don't we don't tend to to do that it just means oh, okay you deny yourself Take up the cross and follow me. So, how do how do just those two people hear that word? Mm -hmm. So important, right? So important, because yeah. it could be that that woman is saying, oh, "Okay, I guess. Well, I don't have. I, I, you know, denying myself means I don't necessarily have any rights here. I, I just have to do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. What's expected of me? And maybe the gentleman is is thinking." you know, um, I, I can just go on and, and uh, be, be myself because I'm, my, my sense of denial is here. Here's, here's, here's a good offering and that's, that's what I'm gonna bring you. You know what I mean? So it, it, two people can, can look at it two different ways or vice versa, you know? <laughs> right. It's very yeah. true. I mean, it also comes to this idea of um, in that same situation, who in that, who in that um, picture that you painted between the man and woman, who who needs um, to um, sacrifice and confess and who needs the assurance of God? Yeah. And who and yeah. when does that happen? And how how do you um, figure that out? Because there, there are times um, when like sacrifice and confession um, alone without all, without, without covering it up with, you know, this sparkly mm -hmm. package at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's okay for it to be just what it is. Yes, um, that's true. We all need there, to, we all need it. <laughs> right. And then there are moments when, of course, we are all loved by God. Um, and that we that we need that assurance mm -hmm. and that we need that love. And um, I think particularly in times such as these, those two things are something that I grapple with a lot. Um, and, and, and specifically, I think now I just want to confess and confess and confess and, um, and continue that practice, um, and don't necessarily, um, at this point need to be assured by anybody, um, of God's love because inherently I know it's there, right? I don't know. It's just, it is a, it's a tricky mm -hmm. situation. Uh -huh. Yeah, so the Sorry. last question is practical, concrete ideas, practices, or ministry would you suggest for congregations to do right now in the midst of COVID, racial inequality, the election, all the things? Yeah. Um, I One, I think, um, is that... Um, I think people believe um, because, you know, we're experiencing it. So um, it's not unusual, but I think maybe people forget 
um, the story of or or history of of peoples in the past that have overcome really really hard situations that lasted a lot longer than maybe four years. <laughs> um, I mean, these four years has been really bad, but um, you know. So I think of people who um, their stories um, need to be retold again um, so that people remember, oh, um, this is how they got through this hard time. Um, so there, a practice that I do is that I love to look up spirituals and or I'll share spirituals. But for me, it's, it's more than just um, sharing a spiritual with my choir or with the, when we had a choir, um, or, or with the congregation is not just singing, oh, that, yeah, that's a great spiritual saying, no, no, I want you to understand the story behind that spiritual, where it comes from, where it comes from, why was it sung and when was it sung and how, because then when they hear the stories of, of when it happens or, or where it comes from, I think it, uh, empowers and reminds you. So if what we're doing in worship is reminding, right? Retelling the story and reminding ourselves, this is what happened. And this is how God, and this is how God will, you know? So we're retelling the story. And sometimes the storytellers need to be people that are, um, in my mind, have to be, or should be people who have experienced great oppression, great, and, and have been marginalized because their stories, I mean, I find it remarkable that um, people that, for example, in my own denomination, that, um, that people who are African-American stayed in the church, that Yes, there was a real, a, a larger component of people that left with Richard Allen and they became the AME church, but they didn't, they, they're, they're still our siblings. Um, you know, they just kind of uh, formed another church, but with our same kind of name. We're just not called the United Methodist with them, we're, they're called um, African Methodist. So, so um, but that story, that story speaks volumes. And there's people that remained in the Methodist church. They didn't, you know, and, and they struggled and they persevered and they continue to persevere and they continue to speak to the church. So that, that story needs to be told. There, there are Native Americans in our community of faith that even though, you know, white, white Jesus was so harmful and so detrimental to their existence, they were able to take the, and, and do what liberation theology uh, talks us to find the undercurrent of the story, find the, you know, find their liberating piece where God um, comes in into their, into their and retells the story. So that story needs to be retold and retold again. And to me, those are practical ways that all of us can can use, not just in the in the in the worshiping community, but just individually in your own practice. Find out what these stories are. Yeah, stories are like really powerful. That is a really really awesome idea. Um, I might be putting you on the spot, um, but do you have um, like a link or a book or an easy access for those people out there listening that just want to? connect in with the, some of those types of stories that you've mentioned? I can um, get make that available, make sure I'll send it to, to Mandy to make sure that, that, that you have it. There are, there are a lot of people that are doing that work. Um, Eileen Gunther, Dr. Eileen Gunther I, uh, is, is one of the ones that come to my mind. Uh, Dr. Anthony Hunt also is another person that has taken um, the the hymnal and taken apart the songs that are uh, for uh, from that tradition of um, Jim Crow era and and the, and then just kind of align them with story. And Eileen Gunther has done work on spirituals. Um, very very good work. 
Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and we'll add it to I our know. resources. Super great. Mm -hmm. That was a great idea. Thank you. You're very welcome. This was really great. Our ritual this week is simple. In our liturgical calendar this past week, it was All Saints and All Souls. It is a time in our season when we are remembering those that have, who have gone before us, their stories and their mark on the world. This week also was an election of a light, lifetime. And this week we still continue after nine months or so to battle a global pandemic. We hope that you are the praying type because mm -hmm. this is what we invite you to do this week is to pray. You are invited to light your candle. And to leave that candle burning for a few minutes or hours or all day and have it be a reminder of God's presence in your life. Have it be a reminder of that person that has gone before you and made an impact and to remember that story. Have your candle be a reminder of God's presence um, in the midst of our political lives in this country, in the midst of illness and grief. And as Drew Hart quotes Justo Gonzalez um, at the end of this chapter, we pray that our worship will help us find the place where we catch a glimpse of the future reign from which and toward which God calls us. A glimpse that both supports us in our pilgrimage and judges us in our attempts to not be too settled. Amen. Amen. Next week, we will hear from Reverend John Dorhauer on how he and the United Church of Christ as a denomination is being a witness as we discuss Chapter 7, Economic Injustice and the Church. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ. And message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or a regular commitment with as little as $1 a month you'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those people that support and listen. We could not do this without you.